0: Graphic Policy Radio. It's Monday night, and we're talking about Deadpool 2, The Wrath of Rusty. Deadpool 2 brings the mercy of the mouth to the big screen again, along with the first canonically queer couple in, super, in a major superhero movie. We are three queer Marvel Comics fans here, and we have opinions. Joining me on the show tonight is Sarah Rasher, when Sarah Rasher is not re-watching comic book movies for science, trying to make everyone know they watched, de- know. That they need to watch DC's show Legends of Tomorrow or uh, texting their friends at 1 a.m. about the queer implications of Marvel canon, which may or may not have happened to me last night. They are writing a blog about competitive figure skating or trying to apply their Ph.D. in Shakespeare to early childhood education. Hello, Sarah. Hi, how are you? And hello to Charles Pulliam Moore, who is a staff writer at io9, where he covers comics and genre culture with a focus on race, representation, and queer identity. Hello, Charles. Hello.
1: Hey, how is everybody?
0: Good, and it's me, your host, Ilana Levin, a.k.a. Ilana Brooklyn, your podcast host and periodic Shatterstar cosplayer. With that fact in mind, uh, from here <laughs> out, there be spoilers. Consider yourself warned to come back to this after you've watched this movie so that you can join me as a... Periodic Shatterstar cosplayer and saying, What the fuck? (laughs) (laughs)
2: Um, (laughs) uh,
0: Will no one give Louis Tam his due? This perfectly trained for an action movie, gorgeous uh, athlete and actor who is biracial and has so much potential and career.
1: He's working his way up like slowly, but surely his like profile is getting bigger. It just sucks and keeps dying, but like give it another year and a half. And I'm pretty sure he'll be headlining his own projects where he, you know, doesn't get chopped up by uh,
3: helicopter blades. Also, oh, oh, it's a time travel movie. He'll be back.
0: Yeah. yeah. You know, that's the point. We, we, we will get to this later in the episode, but we have lots of thoughts regarding time travel and what's happening to various people's bodies. So speaking of what's happening to various people's bodies, let's sort of do a bit of an overview. Um, Charles, were you a fan of the last Deadpool movie, and were you excited about uh, this one? Yeah,
1: so um, I was never really much of a Deadpool fan in general. Um, that uh, you know that, that, that whole space that Deadpool sort of works in just never really um, appealed to me. Um, but I was really sort of pleasantly surprised by the Deadpool movie. Um, I, you know, going, I, going into films, I'm always keeping like an eye on like, um, how much, um, like how much the budget is and sort of like how effectively it's being used. And you could really sort of see um, a really true kind of ingenuity all throughout the first film that really spoke to the vision and ambition um, that the production team sort of had um, for it. And I like legitimately you know, liked the film. Um, it you know, appealed to that, uh, that, that comic book nerd in me that always gets like a little thrill of seeing um, one of the more obscure characters sort of brought to the fore. And I guess Sonic Teenage Warhead is absolutely fucking fantastic. Um, so, mm-hmm. you know, that sort of set my expectations really high for this one. And I would say that it's, a, it's I don't think it was quite as successful um, because it treads a lot of the same kind of ground um, it really sort of leans on that fourth wall uh, breaking button a little bit too much, I think. Um, and uh, you know, towards the, the latter half of the film, I, you start to kind of get tired of the, the winking and nodding and sort of like uh, <laughs> self-recognized lazy writing. Um, but I, I like overall, I would say it's, yeah, like I enjoyed it. It was,
0: it, was, it was, fine. Sarah, how did you feel about it overall?
3: Well, it's I um I was never a huge Deadpool fan in the comics. He was more like he was somebody who would turn up in the comics I actually read, rather than somebody I went to the comics for. Right. And then the first and then the first movie, I yeah, like Charles, I was really pleasantly surprised. And I what really stood out to me about that first movie was that it was like it was a movie about cancer, like it was a romantic comedy about cancer mm. and that that was really in its bones and that it was just so fascinating to see that as the underlying narrative for a superhero movie. And I do feel like Deadpool two didn't have that kind of built in subversiveness. Like it was wearing its subversiveness on its sleeves rather than having it really down deep. Um, I wasn't as bothered by like the fourth wall jokes because that's kind of what I show up to Deadpool for, but what struck me, um, was that in the first movie, even though the first movie is incredibly violent and gory, that the violence always seemed very earned by the moment, whereas I felt like in Deadpool 2, there was a lot more violence that struck me as, like, I just really didn't need to see that. That was a little more gore than I really needed in that moment. But Mm. I think we're kind of getting at the same thing, where the things that seemed kind of fresh and thoughtful and very timed in the first movie were a little sloppier in the second movie, but it was still a really Mm. fun movie.
2: Yeah.
3: Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, I know that for a lot of us, what we were really excited about was, you know, the, I was really excited to see Zazie Beetz as Domino. Um, She was amazing. Uh, I thought that uh, this is like really her first action movie that I'm I'm aware of. I think she sort of comes from prestige television, if I'm not mistaken. Um, (laughs) And she's just like gorgeous and hilarious. And I am, very glad that they did such a good job of illustrating exactly how her luck powers would work. And in fact, did um, sort of illuminating that as they show, Um, you know, I have, I have a lot of different feelings about the movie all over the map and I'm kind of just interested in following where folks go on it, but definitely, you know, one of the main themes, I think for all of us is our question around like, how is the movie handling the queer characters? You know, I was really super happy to have straight up have a female character say, this is my girlfriend. It was the fact it was Megasonic Teenage Warhead, a character who a lot of us had had our, you know, our queered are triggered by in the earlier movie. Having it be her rather than just somebody they pulled out of thin air for that purpose is actually appreciated as well. Um, and that was really sweet. And also having it be teenagers, you know, I, I could have done with a, at least maybe a peck on the cheek or some sort of affection that won't be something that they could literally edit out uh, of the movie by translating it incorrectly when they ship it to another country. Right. Cause there's like all they, all they have to do to make this Russia compliant and China compliant is not translate the way she says that it's her girlfriend. There's no, you know what I mean? Like that's all they would need to do uh, to, to make that work. And so that's a little bit, um, feels that feels thin and, and unfortunate. But, um, the characters themselves were really so charming, and it's definitely you know a move it's it's definitely a move that we that we hadn't seen before. Um, we haven't had anybody uh, canonically in a superhero movie just be like, yes, these characters are some particular flavor of LGBTQ, and also they are a couple. So that was really exciting to see that <sighs> have. Be addressed with them, and also heck, it's you know it's a biracial couple, right? It's like a you know an interracial couple, which is nice as well. But um, yeah, queer teens are great. I also wanted to just say that I've been very specific in terms of referring to the couple of Megasonic and Megasonic's girlfriend as being queer because we don't actually know: are they bi? Are they lesbian? How do they right. identify? And you know, there's been this there's been this ongoing thing where people are getting criticized for describing relationships or characters as being LGBTQ because nobody is they, well, very, I don't, it's very unusual that an individual person would manifest the identity of being a lesbian and a gay person and a bisexual person and a trans trans person all at the same time, right? right. Okay, nobody is LGBTQ, but let me tell you, I would use that term frequently because if I don't know if a person is identifies as queer or they identify as bi or they identify as a lesbian or conversely if somebody identifies as queer or bi or gay like i don't want to assume that somebody is monosexual if they're not so i'm definitely using the word queer and describing this couple for that reason yeah so that was a lot and i feel me. like
3: it's especially <laughs> important in a movie where and i have a feeling we're going to talk a lot about the relative effectiveness of this where there is a response to fan complaints that the first movie did not address Deadpool's canon bisexuality enough and
2: mm. there
3: was at least an attempt in this movie and um I mean I think it was pretty, I think it was pretty on the nose
1: when Vanessa pretty like explicitly acknowledges the fact that it's not just, he's not just kidding when he's like feeling Colossus up, like it is a legitimate sexual attraction and she's totally chill with it for, you know, from the afterlife. It's, a, it's, it's, it's a little wink, wink, nod, nod, but I feel as if like between that and I think earlier in the film, there's, um, there's a pegging joke. It's like, it is, it is a recurrent enough theme throughout the film that I don't, I think you'd have a difficult time really sort of laughing it away as like, um, a point, like a a poking fun at queerness as opposed to sort of like an acknowledgement that it is a part of like weight sexuality.
3: Yeah. I felt like one of the things that was really successful was actually the way that they avoided making fun of anybody's queerness or same sex Mm, desire.
2: Yeah.
3: That even that it was funny, but it wasn't, being ridiculed it was funny because it was genuine it was funny because um you could tell that wade kind of got off on Defender having kind of a crush on him and (laughs) enjoyed what he was able to accomplish and how he was able to throw cable by kind of flirting with him and one of the (laughs) things that really stood out to me was i was thinking that Wade is very specific in who he flirts with and who he's attracted to in a way that really resonates with me as a bisexual person, that it doesn't just mean that you're attracted to everybody. Uh, Mm. Weasel is clearly off limits. (laughs) Domino is kind of off limits, but like Cable, he's all in. Colossus, he just keeps doing it until Colossus thinks it's cute.
0: So, like, <laughs> there is that aspect of it, too. I, I mean, I'm, I'm glad that folks are feeling positive about that. I, I tend to not be super generous in this moment. I, I I really feel like they really want to have their cake and eat it, too. And that it would still, I, I think it, it's still going to allow a lot of straight dudes to feel very comfortable just laughing at jokes about things, even if that's not what they're really going for here. Um,
1: I think that's a valid, like, that's a valid concern, but we're, like, if if the, you know, if the, like, subtextual, if Deadpool's subtextual queerness was the only queerness that was present in the film, um, it would be way more concerning, but just sort of having... Negasonic and Yukio sort of cementing that like queerness does exist within this universe now and mm-hmm. any queer interpretations that you can read into things should be taken seriously. Like it sort of has this like cascading effect almost that sort of amplifies the presence of like the more subtextual queerness that's embedded throughout the rest of the film. Uh, and because yet, for all of, think you know, think yeah. Go ahead.
0: I was going to say and yet do you think Wade Wilson is going to kiss a man in a non-joking situation in a future Deadpool movie? Um
1: I mean eh, like is 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 Vanessa like dead dead dead? I mean it, hard
2: to say <laughs> for you.
1: It's I, I I I would not. I don't think it's entirely out of the realm of possibility that um, I doubt that you know that that Fox would put out a film where Deadpool has like a male romantic lead to the bulk of the film. But, um, for the sake of, I don't know, espionage, some sort of uh, madcap hijinks he gets into, I can see it becoming, you know, something that is incorporated into the film. And and I, I, the older, this is weird to say, the older I get, the more I sort of become mm, a bit more, uh, discerning about like the kinds of queer representation that I think are really sort of um, important um, to see on screen um, because, you know, one of the critiques of the film um, is that Yukio, you know, she is Nagatonic's girlfriend, but she doesn't really, she isn't really given a personality outside of mm-hmm. being generally pleasant and saying hi and bye. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, she, you know, she, she looks fabulous, but she is for all intents and purposes, a rather two dimensional character. Um, And I think that's that's a valid thing to point out, Um, but also at the same time, the movie is just like not about them, right? Mm -hmm. Um, They are, she is two-dimensional and simple, but in a way that sort of makes her, because she's a background character, it makes her like an interesting background character. And I think that there is something to be said for just having queer people's existence within these universes be treated as... A normality and a given that we shouldn't sort of have to take super duper notice of if that
0: makes any kind of sense um yeah the movie did take like the fact that that um they went uh right into the question of oh is deadpool gonna say something homophobic uh to Mm. which i I would never it would never even have a regardless of whether or not deadpool (laughs) himself is pansexual It would never occur to me that the character Deadpool would say anything deliberately homophobic um, to a friend. So the fact that the movie put them in a position of saying, don't worry, I'm not about to say something homophobic. I'm excited for you. I don't watch Fox News. Now, I loved getting that Fox News dig in there because that actually is culturally important (laughs) to say, we all know that Fox News is for bigots. Like that movie just said, this is a fact, Fox is for bigots. (laughs) I give the movie credit for making that point. Um, but, uh, but the fact that it was like, even put it out there like that, that it did put it out there that it was possible that somebody who was a good guy, like, like, like Wade might possibly be, you know, homophobic in his response to the, to a, to a young person with they spoke to even though it would never, I would never think he would. Even if and he the interesting straight is, through. I think that.
1: I think that, like in that moment, like Wade becomes a stand-in for the Deadpool fans who perhaps like read, like uh, who have like bad reads on the character, right? Who sort of oh. embodies the negative elements of his personality. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that was one of the really one of the interesting things that I've been sort of like mulling over about the film as a whole. It feels very personal, almost. Um, I feel like you can see a lot of Ryan Reynolds working through his own sort of ideas about family and relationships throughout this in a way that sort of both like heightens the film, but also sort of like makes it kind of like, uh, it kind of like pulled me out of it sometimes because like, I didn't come to see, I didn't come to see Deadpool to sort of um, see Ryan Reynolds's deep ruminations about his relationship with Blake Lively. Uh, But they, you know, there it is on the screen. Um, Mm. And I think that that's one of the, it's, it's, it's both like, for me, it's like both a positive and a negative, but it also opens up this possibility for, you I mean, we, like for us to really sort of read Deadpool as not just making, you know, the explicit meta commentary when he's looking at the screen, but really sort of becoming less like a character in the film and more sort of a reflection of the people who like us as an audience, who we are as like Deadpool fans. It's um, <laughs>
0: So, I was I love this about a writing yeah. credit, and you're right. You really do. You really do see like Ryan Reynolds in it, and this being his creative baby. In some ways, this might be a little bit more of an arturist project than many of the other superhero movies that we've had. That we've had. In the sense that That's we know. Terrible. In the sense that. In the sense that we know. Um, in this, in the sense that we know. In the sense that we know that like the movie exists because he really desired for it to happen, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. and uh, that he was one of the writers now, is one of the producers of it. The character, you know, he has a lot of creative control in it. Um, I'm sure that the fact that there is an LGBTQ character on, you know, characters plural, like right on the page, right there, is probably something to do with his own politics and interests. So, um, as much as I'm just generally a cynic towards Artur reads of anything like it's more of an auteur film than most of the superhero movies so
1: but if you want to give if you want to give him that then like let's open up like let's talk about some of like the the really glaring flaws in the film Um, Mm -hmm. like that opening that opening it's it's you 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 can tell that there's an idea there right there's a there's some point you're trying to make but the execution was just like so muddled and like not great And it kind of, because it's the first really sort of big statement that the movie makes, um, the statement being, uh, well, depends on sort of your interpretation, but you can read it as a critique of films that fridge women to give the male protagonist a motivation, um, but then it does become the thing that pushes the movie forward and it never really Uh kind of grapples with it in a meaningful kind of way. Um yeah. and because that's like the first big frame for the film, you're just sort of like, Oh, you this is what we're doing? I don't know.
3: Yeah. I feel like it's trying to critique fridging and ends up just fridging a character. And yeah. that's really unfortunate. Um and it only sort of reverses that resonance after a third of the people in the theater where we saw it last night had left the theater. So, um, and it, and the reason I think that it didn't redeem itself out of that critique was because it was trying to like have those moving emotional, like other place, like vision quest scenes, um as like the emotional core of the film where he's talking to his dead girlfriend and that's a cliche that's one of the few cliches that it failed to interrogate and it was almost like it didn't realize that it was sinking into cliche there and not forthwalling it the Mm. way that Mm. it managed to forthwall every single other thing in the film
1: it literally managed to create another wall for itself upon which they beat themselves multiple, multiple times. I kept thinking to myself, like, yeah. oh, they're going to make, they're going to make, um, what was that movie with Matthew McConaughey and the time travel where he's like in the bookshelf and he's trying to communicate with his daughter in the past. Oh, I no, idea. <laughs> no it was like more recent and it was some bullshit, but it's that he's, <laughs> he's you know, he's, flo- he's floating in some, in some three-dimensional space that's bathed in orange light and just trying to communicate. And it's like, Oh my God. And they kept doing it throughout the film. It was so tiring.
0: Well, they, they did get to actually make, make, make some good use of using take on me, right? Like they have the whole barrier between life and death and they're pulling each other back and forth through it. Like it's a take on me video, uh, from the ha mm-hmm. video from the 80s, if, if if you're a person of a certain age, it was kind of a major music video of our youth. And in there in, in it, there uh, <laughs> the female character is trying to escape from the animated world and bring the animated character who is the singer from the Ha, back through it with her. So that was a, <laughs> I mean, a, a beautiful song choice. And um, if you're going to do something with that wall, like that was a creative way to handle it. Um, but yeah, I, I I do think you guys are right about what it about what it met with her. Um, I, but as, the other as, thing as is, as, is that in the, the comics, one of the reasons why in certain characters' runs of Deadpool, that Deadpool wants to die, is because he's in love with the character Death, as in Death that Thanos wants to get with, but Thanos chooses, sorry, but Death chooses Deadpool over Thanos because Deadpool is more fun. Um, right.
2: In this one, we <laughs> right. actually
0: have Death. Deadpool wants to die because he's in love with his actual girlfriend as opposed to with a uh, hooded skeleton with boobs, who was deaf. So I think that was an interesting way of reference <laughs> that bit of canon into this world. Um, although speaking of like canon, like let's talk a bit about, let's talk a bit about Cable for a bit. Um, oh. his, whole, his whole Terminator <laughs> moment. So what did you guys think about the performance and also about the use of the character? Do you want to take that, Sarah?
3: Um, I'm trying to think, um, (laughs) it's funny because it feels like something I should have more of a reaction to. And my reaction keeps being like, it was fine. It was clear that the actor was in on the joke and the character wasn't, which is exactly what you wanted from that. Um, And I feel like that was an aspect of the movie where it did set up cliches and then interrogate them, but still make those cliches count for something emotionally. So I feel like in that respect, it worked. But it also just, I feel like um, it showcased even more than Cable in the comics that Cable is the grumpy, fuddy-duddy, straight man pull off of, and we already kind of had that in Colossus, and I felt like both the the use of Colossus just in the script and in the film and the performance of Colossus were both a lot more dynamic and a lot more... useful within the universe. So it ended up being a little, there ended up being a little bit of redundancy with Cable and Colossus in terms of their function Mm. in the movie. Um, And I could have done with just Colossus, but I thought that Cable was fine. I'm glad that he's now part of this universe.
1: I totally agree. Like I got the feeling that Cable almost felt um, tacked onto this film um, he was just sort of like uh, the cool action figure that you got in the cereal box. Um, and you're okay. super jazzed that he's there, um, but, you know, the cereal would have been just fine without. Um, I, I feel that more so than anything else, Cable's introduction, um, just because this film stripped away so much of, you know, his convoluted plot, um, <laughs> is really just more foreshadowing for X-Force. Um, which presumably would um, give way to an opportunity to explain, you know, how it is that he came to be living in what appeared to be a post-apocalyptic world. Um, yeah, this is just sort of a, you know, a new character approaches, and he's just sort of standing in the periphery for the bulk of the film, which I think was kind of, <laughs> I think that ultimately might have been what like really convinced Josh Brolin to sign on to the project, because um, I. Believe he rolled into this right after Infinity War, which, you know, is an insane undertaking. And then this really did feel like he was kind of like very comfortable and chill in the role. Like he was very into it and committed, but definitely was coasting on his Josh Brolinness. And I mean that in like oh. the best way possible.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, because like cable from the comics is so. He is so of that era of the '90s that makes me cringe, where the performance easily could have been like overwrought and you know, um, like a bad um, Schwarzenegger impersonation. Um, But generally, his cable was very chill um, in a way that I found very kind of refreshing. Um, If Colossus, like you're right, like Colossus, like King Colossus um, played more or less the same function in the film, but Colossus was decidedly more like. he was a bit more bumbling throughout the film. Whereas Cable
0: sure, was... You know?
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. He's yeah. the big brother of um. the
0: world. like. <laughs> <laughs> he's your big brother and mine. You know, I will say this. I was very glad that in the end they had Cable do the heroic and self-sacrificing thing um, because that would not be Cable otherwise. I was just, like, I know having Cable travel back through time and try to like shoot at various people is like, no, no. Bishop is the one who wants to kill a baby, not, not Cable. But um, <laughs> I, I, I was really glad mm-hmm. that, uh, that they let him say, actually, I'm, you know, now that my daughter is safe, I'm going to do the noble thing and stay here and try to prevent the world from ending up as fucked up as it, as I know that it does. He just would be a completely really different character if he wasn't like that. Um, I also, it's just funny. I was just thinking that, you know, I read all these excellent comics before I saw any Terminator Movies. And so, like, I just, it's ridiculous how much he's just literally, Rob Liefeld was like, I'm going to make Terminator, but he won't have feet.
2: Yeah. And
3: that's,
0: (laughs) it's just Terminator with no feet. Um,
3: And and, and uh, shout out out to one of the best fourth wall jokes in the film, which was the guy mm -hmm. who can't even draw feet joke. There were several, (laughs) just, there were several individual lines in this movie that were just, first of all, they didn't care if 90% of the audience has no idea what they're talking about. And also they just landed and they just kept moving. And, um, it's one, it's a movie that if there's a reason to watch it
0: again, it's because I feel like I will get more of the jokes.
2: Yeah. Well,
0: speaking of references, so Rusty, I'm sorry, Russell is Rusty Collins. I, I, I probably should have named the title around uh, Russell, but Russell in the movie is Rusty Collins from the X Men comics, one of the kids who gets rescued by the original X Men once they become X Factor and are hunting mutants to save them from themselves while also pretending to be the exterminators. It's all very complicated. People should just go listen to Jay and Miles explain the X Men, make life simple for yourselves. But yeah, they did not pick a random name. Like that is, in fact, a, 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 young car- a young person, a mu- young mutant from the comics who they went and, rec- and, re- and uh, rescued. I would also say, for the record, that Yukio is definitely not Storm's girlfriend Yukio. This is definitely a younger Yukio with completely different powers who is not a ninja and is not Storm's girlfriend. I feel very strongly about that. It's a pretty common first name, <laughs> so like, there's no reason that you would assume that all Yukios were the same Yukio. Yeah, It Just as there are like
3: seventeen the... Hanks in Marvel, like there are Yeah.
0: <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> what
3: was that, Charles?
1: Um, I think one of the screenwriters um was talking about uh she is the yu who's associated with Wolverine, but because this is mm-hmm. like the timelines are just entirely different, it's just, just a different incarnation of the character. Like, she just has no connection to her, like, comics origins, um, which honestly, I, yes, I, it, would be, it would be great if she was an entirely new character, but I always do like it when, um, you know, screenwriters are like, fuck it, like, we'll just change it, because you can just change things, and it's fine, right? The, the mm-hmm. films don't mm-hmm. suffer for them, you know, change like change part, it ultimately makes these things better.
0: And yeah, and the important part is that whether it's in this movie or in the X-Men comics, Yukio is definitely into women. That's the most important thing. <laughs> So,
1: right right as long right.
0: As i can right. treat that as settled canon of which I have strong opinions. I will say fine.
1: I one of one of the things that I that bothered me about the movie um was that two mutants who were introduced who both had powers that were really like seemed to be related to electricity. Mm-hmm. Um you know Bedlam was only on screen for all of you know a minute and a half um he made some lights flicker which another missed opportunity for a joke like we always love a good joke about a black superhero with electricity superpowers. Uh, <laughs> That's so but, true. <laughs>
2: Wow womp womp. um
1: but it's like ah, I wish like i i uh, the the trope about um um an Asian fighter fighting with a ball and chain is like a little a little a little done i I kind of wish that they'd given her something a little more innovative to do, but
0: oh wow, yeah. yeah
3: yeah, I did feel that too that she was a little bit she was she was by far not the most disturbing offensive or lazy Asian cliche in comic book movies but they could have done better
0: yeah having her say hi and smile repeatedly was not really the as much as like those are very that's not an unusual personality tendency to have but it's still like a little bit closer to the stereotypes in some ways by doing that one thing that I really do want to say though is that I really appreciate that the movie gives Domino her own story, even if it's very buried, like the fact that she comes in and she's signs up for this mission. Cause she's a mercenary and she knows what she's doing, she's on top of her shit. She's charming. And she turns out that they're going to go, then they end up at the uh, child brainwashing center, the conversion therapy center that she was in as a child. No. And she gets to go back where she was tortured and rescue the other children. And, you know, there's completely another version of the Deadpool movie in which Mm -hmm. Domino is the protagonist. You know what I mean? And even though she's Mm. not the protagonist, the fact that it's clear that there's a version of Deadpool 2 in which Domino is the protagonist is pretty freaking cool.
1: And the thing that I like about it is that her, like, her journey isn't, like couched in trauma and pain the way that it could be um, because she is just sort of going along with the way that her powers work she's like I don't know what the fuck's going on but like I know I'm doing the right thing um and so it just gives her it introduces her as a character in a really solid kind of way where you only see even in her weakest moments you're only seeing the best parts of her um that and that sounds I don't know that sounds a little that sounds a little odd saying, but what I mean is that like we're never given a reason to believe that like her strength only, like the only source of her strength is like her pain. If that, you know, and that, you know, that's sort of like one of these recurring problematic themes of these kinds of films in particular. Uh, when you look at characters like the Scarlet Witch um, and Black Widow, the way that they've been portrayed in Marvel's movies.
0: That's totally true. You know, the other thing is that I had completely forgotten. I, when I first heard about the stunt woman who died on, in, in making Deadpool 2, I actually yeah. not, I was not planning on seeing the movie for that reason, actually. Because um, mm. the way that uh, there have been just so many people, but especially stunt women, whose lives are in danger because movies refuse to put them in adequately protective clothing simply so that I and others have the luxury of ogling their boobs, is, like, really fucked up. Um, we know that stunt women have have more dangerous jobs than stunt men because they're not able to wear as much armor and protection, and we know why that is. Um, mm-hmm. And I but, I, but that was such a long time ago, and the conversation had moved along so much and then, and I completely freaking forgotten. So we got into the scene where we had, like, not even when we first see Domino, but when we first see Domino coming out of the helicopter, and then I was like, oh, shit. That stunt woman died. I was supposed to not be there because that's wrong. Um, So I still don't know how the hell I feel about watching the movie under those circumstances. But I do definitely say, like, because stunt women wear less clothing than stunt men, they are more injured and that there's a reason Mm -hmm. why they wear less clothing. And it's because men are making decisions.
3: And one of the anyway. fascinating things is of the many female characters in the movie, and it's there's not quite gender parity. It's a Vestal pass, but not a revolutionary one. Um, that really Domino is the only significant female character who is kind of scantily and provocatively clad. That like whenever we see Vanessa, pretty much she's in like a comfy sweater. Um mm-hmm. and Negasonic Teenage Warhead is certainly fully clothed, and um, Al is not provocatively like so. <laughs> Domino stands out as like the sexy female character, and there's actually more focus on and we're going back to the queer stuff a little bit here, but more focus on male bodies than female ones in some ways. But yeah, part of the tragedy is the one character who perpetuated the problem that you're talking about with female um, stunt doubles being more vulnerable because of clothing differences. Domino was the one character where that was really an issue in this film.
0: And I would also say for superhero movie, like her costume does make sense. It's not one of those implausible, um, you know, like, stupid comics get-ups where, like, people are wearing butt floss and it just doesn't make any sense. Like, no, like, it was not an unreasonable costume by by superhero comic standards, but even so.
3: Yeah. And honestly, it's not even, it looked reasonably comfortable and practical. There was just some cleavage, and walking down the street, that is a frequent thing you see. So it didn't (laughs) seem like an unreasonable choice for her.
0: Yeah, it would have been better if she was wearing a more heavy-duty jacket and more heavy-duty pants and stuff like that in the the moment. I mean, so anyway, moving from that, I mean, I guess, I don't know. I mean, do you guys have feelings just generally about how the movie regarded the male body and how it looked at who was attractive or sexy or whatnot? (sighs) Goodness.
2: Hmm.
1: I don't know. I'm sure because I, I have a
0: thought about but, your
1: <laughs>
0: This book, this movie has what, a lot of thought here? about What's here? The movie has a lot of thought about butts, and I, I okay. think that movies in general that have there's in terms of like where are you hiding that hen? Um,
2: <laughs> juggernaut
0: mm-hmm. getting electrocuted in the butt. Um, there's like a particular sort of like. Heterosexual man paranoia around butts that I do feel actually still is manifest in this movie. Like, it is funny to like electric shock, like, you know, juggernaut period in a swimming pool, and that was the place that they were able to get, but it's still like it's still a butt joke. Um.
1: I and hear I just, your yeah. critique and I'm just like just to play devil's advocate. I th- I think mm-hmm. that you're you're entirely right that there is a very kind of pronounced juvenile um like heterosexual male kind of humor that is um that runs throughout this film um but with you know with those moments that really are sort of pointedly um, acknowledging that, like, Deadpool is into butt play, I think that there's a way in which you can <laughs> interpret, like, those scenes where, like, Juggernaut is getting electrocuted up his ass as, like, you're laughing because, you're like, ha, 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 he's getting electrocuted up his ass, but there's part of you that's, like, ha, ha, but but, 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 might that be something that, like, titillates me in a different way on some level? Like, I don't necessarily think that that message is being explicitly made in any kind of... Um, way but there is a subversive like there's a there's a there's enough like there's enough subversive like subspace within this film that I feel as a queer person I didn't feel like laughed at or wronged by any of like the
2: um
1: the 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 jokes that could be read as like being homophobic in any way shape or form um because they never really felt mean um, if mm-hmm. that makes any sense, yeah. they never sort that's of true. felt that's true. As if they were um, in bad faith. Um, there is an inherent funniness to the fact that how do you stop the not? Like he's an immovable, he's an immovable force. There are, you know, mm-hmm. short of him being exposed to like a psychic, you're kind of fucked. Um, yeah. So running an electric current through his dense body in a pool of water, not only is it kind of funny, but it is rather ingenious. Um, yeah, and you know, um one of the reasons that prison sucks is that you gotta hot tip all your butt. That's not great, and it's just one of the sad realities of why um the prison industrial complex is kind of shit um and so making you know, poking fun at um butt smuggling yeah. um again, I was just Eh, sure, why not?
3: yeah. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking about the other big butt joke, which is actually a little butt joke, because it's the one where we see Deadpool, Deadpool throwing growing his entire <laughs> lower half. And we're going to get into my 1 a.m. text in just a minute, because it does relate to this part of the movie. Um, mm-hmm. But that one of the things to note, other than the fact that everybody is pretty scandalized, but also amused and not at all surprised that Deadpool is sitting around half naked with his like little baby lower half just in full poo bear. Um, <laughs> but the, the other thing to note about that is that Deadpool is in, and Wade really is incredibly insecure about the way his body looks because it's scarred and you know basically one big cancer so what he's letting hang out is smooth healthy skin.
2: <laughs> wow. And so
3: probably one of the reasons he is doing it other than to just annoy everybody is that he's enjoying that brief moment of having a body that is in some way unscarred. Um mm-hmm. And from that perspective and it's, I feel like that kind of ties into what Charles is saying that like on the one hand, some of the butt jokes are are a little juvenile, which again, it's a Deadpool movie, Um, but also they're sort of loving and sort of just acknowledging butts are kind of sexy and kind of funny and kind of gross. And that's why they're interesting. Um, (laughs) Yeah. What it also ties into is the way that the movie deals with Russell's fat body, Mm -hmm. um, where there are mentions of his fatness, but whenever it gets close to ridiculing him for being fat, um, there's moments like him saying, whoever saw a fat superhero, it doesn't exist. And then the moment where I really noticed his body as being filmed to draw attention to it in a way that wasn't laughing at it was when he's first talking to Juggernaut, he's sitting on the floor and his prison Uniform, which is comically ill-fitting, has ridden way up so that you see most of his legs and his thighs, and it's just how much of his body you see and how human his body looks in that moment, and I feel like the movie's treatment of his fat body ties into a lot of the, like, this is uncomfortable – we are tempted to see this as gross, but at the same time, there's something beautiful about it and something to love and cast the camera on about it. So mm-hmm. I feel like it's a problem rather than a, this is awesome or this fails.
0: Well, they, there is a diabetes joke, but up until that moment, I was very feel I was feeling great. Like that they acknowledged, for example, the fact that they don't have like, you know, like heavy superheroes and stuff like that. Like, but I was just like that diabetes joke. I like literally wrote it in my notes. I was like, God damn it! Why did you make that fucking joke? Um,
3: yeah, and I think that there's a there's a few uh, jokes that do not land in all of these categories, and that would be yeah, that's the one that does not land in that category.
0: But overall, I mean, I think you know you have a character, I, you have a character who's you know a boy who is actually trying to free all the other kids from from. From essentially, like I mean, the 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 um, the Essex School is basically a conversion therapy, uh, child you know torture place metaphor. Like there are, and I feel like I have to explain this because not everybody knows this. In the real world, there are still places that are open and operating where parents send their kids to be tortured to make them pretend to be heterosexual. They also have them for things beyond just for, for you know anti anti LGBTQ conversion therapy. They have them for kids for being quote disobedient. Like then they have these boot camps where they send kids overseas to be tortured and sometimes die, um, to be beaten into obedience. But the particular, this particular one really did seem like a gay conversion therapy, um, camp and they have the guy running it sort of was a callback to Reverend Craig, who was the Presbyterian minister who kept calling Rain Sinclair over an X force. I'm sorry, X factor. Um, calling her for, for being a mutant.
2: Um
0: I was really glad that they kept that bit of the metaphor uh active because it it, it it is a powerful one. Um and I just appreciate that, that like they you see like Rusty actually is trying to be a hero too. He's trying to he he's mm-hmm. lashing out because he's trying to save not just himself but he's trying to save everybody. at least that was my reading on it. Um yes. Yeah. What did you guys think about, uh, I mean, generally, I, I really think, like, physically, in terms of the humor of the movie, like, Deadpool is Bugs Bunny, right? Like, he's one step ahead of people, generally speaking, and the physical humor, you know, he's immune to, he can do anything. There's nothing that is not ultimately achievable or that he can't, like, walk away from, and he's the wise, he's the wiseacre, you know?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Does he Bugs? Is he... Um, Oh shoot! I just lost. Sorry, Charles. Sorry about that. I don't know why people no, are good. getting this fucked up. I was just saying, yeah. Sorry. So Deadpool. Deadpool is he Bugs Bunny? I kind of think he's Bugs Bunny. Uh, I don't think I. I, I think, but
1: the, <laughs> I hate to say this, I don't really think Deadpool is all that funny. Um, at the end of the day, um, the film itself, um, because the film is so much more than just Deadpool Deadpool himself. Um, The film ends up being a rather enjoyable experience, but Deadpool as like a singular character at the end of the day, just doesn't really do it for me in in like a really interesting way. I think that he's a perfectly great um, uh, gateway drug into this particular like branch of the X-Men franchise, uh, the X-Men shared universe. Um, like, I like the idea, like, honestly, the thing that I like the most about this film is that it really does sort of serve as a lot of connective tissue between, um, you know, the, the Deadpool uh, space and um, the uh, X-Men proper um, space. Now, I think that we can sort of safely assume that their films happen somewhat contemporaneously, um, give or take a, a couple of movie, uh, Hollywood years. Um, and I think that that's, Ultimately, like what I like Deadpool for, for him to sort of be a whimsical guide through um, these um, these ridiculous films, um, just to sort of uh, act as um, a sherpa of sorts. But I don't know that I, I don't know <laughs> that I would give him Bugs Bunny quite uh, that, that that that's sort of a high that's high praise that I don't know that he quite deserves.
3: Yeah, he's definitely not as clever as he thinks he is and I feel yeah. like I feel like the first movie was very confident in sending that message and this movie was a little less consistent in, you know, taking the mask off of Deadpool in a certain way and revealing him to revealing his humor to be a defense mechanism and a way of – I feel like the first film, because it was so much more focused on his history of special forces, on the reality that he was dying and all of those things, that um, – it was able to show more of the cracks in that madcap personality and show the ways that he used it to avoid the difficult realities of his existence. And Mm. in this, there were just fewer moments where the, the cracks were visible. And again, this movie was, not a romantic comedy about cancer, so
0: it didn't give itself as many opportunities for that.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I, I think we all can agree, though, that they really should have gotten rid of the sexual assailant T.J. Miller and instead replaced him with the, uh, Brian Cox's head on a green screen <laughs> at the bar, and that um, that would have been a much better way to handle that. Or a puppet. We we discussed the possibility of a puppet mostly because yeah, so that's um, a puppet. I don't know. Where where do you come on this, Charles? Should it be a puppet or should it be Brian Cox on a green screen? I mean,
1: honestly, I um, we had like an inordinate amount of previews before um, the screening that I was at, but the final trailer that played before the feature started was for um, what is it, the Happy Land Murders or something? That- yeah, the yeah. Happy Murders, maybe something. Yeah. Yeah, the Muppet Murder movie, which looks fucking hilarious, and so with that in mind, I'm all for Team Puppet at this point. I feel like you know T.J. <laughs> Miller was basically was basically a Muppet already. Um, it would not have been hard to get a Muppet um, of his likeness, and it would have made perfect sense.
0: Yeah, exactly. It would just make mu- it make it, been- make it
1: a recurring <laughs> joke. Just like, does anyone else see a puppet over there? And everyone's like, no. Um, but you know, he does. Um, would have been fine.
0: Yeah. So we have thoughts, perhaps, about um, the future of uh, the series and what might be coming next. Um, I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't often go into the speculation game because that's generally, like, I think, a fool's errand. But, and also not generally how I interact with art. It's not all about guessing what's next. But boy, there are some really. Funny things that we have in mind, Sarah. Would you, Sarah? Would you care to share your theory of what might be coming up in the near future?
3: Well, you keep painting it as like a prediction. And I keep painting it as like the fan fiction I am not planning on writing, <laughs> um, which is I noted that okay, Deadpool is been cut clean in half. Deadpool has demonstrated the ability to regenerate most of his body when injured. Um, And so my theory is that the lower half of Deadpool also eventually healed and became a second Deadpool, but that because he had to regrow a brain, it took quite a bit longer for him to be anything. And so he just wakes up, lying in an alley a week after all of this is over after an extended amount of time in his dream space as his brain grows back, having no idea that all of this is over and also being the only person who is aware of how um, Cable and Deadpool A have changed the timeline. Um, I do not think this is what is actually going to happen,
0: but I kind (laughs) of hope it is. I think it is though because what would what what would um, the actor want more than to have the opportunity to play himself twice? <laughs> also, as Alana pointed out, when I texted this
3: to her at one in the morning, um, that means there is one Deadpool for Vanessa and one for Colossus, which we can Solve all agree all is the best a case scenario.
0: Exactly. <laughs> 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 but um, but you know, seriously, from like a meta standpoint of like looking at what the creative team might want to do next. Like I really see why they might want there to be two Deadpools running around. It saves casting for one thing, but um, they really can have this, they can deal with, they're already dealing with X-Men worthy time stream and timeline jumps in here and having one character with one knowledge of what has happened in the past and not uh, is an opportunity for a different timeline. It just seems very X-Many. I mean, what is more X-Many than having two characters who are the same character running around in the same timeline?
2: You can call (laughs) one of them dark
0: Deadpool and the other of them and uh, the like, like dark beast they had, or I don't know. There's lots of doubles. It's X-Men. Anybody else have any thoughts about what might be coming in the future?
1: Um, I think it's I, I think that with Cable um, stuck in the past and with his origins, um, uh, as best as we saw in the film, pretty firmly removed from all of the craziness with um, you know the Gray Summers gene pool, um, I think that the film is is pretty is pretty um, solidly pointing towards um, the Mr. Sinister stuff that the entire X franchise has been uh, sort of oriented towards as of late. Um, mm. you know, the, 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 school where the kids, well, the, the weird conversion, um, therapy place where the kids were being tortured. Um, it's, I think it was called Essex house, um, yeah. which was Essex also school. teased. School, yeah. In, yeah which, and it was also teased at the end of, um, I guess it was apocalypse. Um, or, um, I forget when the, I forget when the last Essex, uh, uh little name drop, um, was um, in a film, and then there are the rumors that Jessica Chastain may be playing a version of the character in um, Dark Phoenix, um, and I would not be surprised if, I, would, I wouldn't be entirely surprised if Deadpool didn't pop up in Dark Phoenix, it'd be, I don't know, I, I, I feel as if, as of late, well, you know, before the merger, um, or for the sale, sort of, um, on the, like in play, Um, Fox really was sort of falling into its stride in establishing um, its properties as something close to a shared universe Um, not necessarily as uh, tightly interwoven as what Marvel um, has done uh, but something that definitely allows its you know players to play off of one another in a certain capacity Um, so I don't know I wouldn't I I I feel I feel as if the next time that like when X-Force, when X-Force comes out, it feels if like it is going to cleave a lot more closely to uh, the ethos of the proper X-Men films in terms of being more straightforward action with your uh, traditional big bad guy and uh, presumably some kind of awful CGI fight towards the end.
0: I hope not. You might be very right, but I really do prefer <clears throat> this to be its own movie with its own flavor. Yeah. Um, We 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 shouldn't just have it like there shouldn't be a style of movie for superhero films. There should be a range of options, and this particular approach should be one of them. You know, but you you very well may be right. Well, I I think do do folks have any uh, last last feelings, last thoughts they want to share as we come up around the hour?
3: I want to give a quick shout out to just the music coordinator for this film because yeah. whatever we can say about the inconsistency of the humor or the problems, the characterization or plot, every single music cue. And I completely forgot to look up the one um, Indian pop song, because I've just got to assume that that was as ridiculously on point as everything else. <laughs> but just... The, the the brilliance of the music coordination in this movie, like there should be some kind of Oscar for, because I have seen so many movies, uh, Guardians 2, fail at this so badly that to see it done well was really a pleasure.
0: Well, I appreciate that the exit rap song was definitely done with, um, but with, by a, uh... Wow, I'm forgetting his name, by um, Ryan Reynolds. Like that was definitely him doing the the theme song rap at the end too. Yeah, I mean, you know, Thunderstruck was well deployed, but it, sort of in reference to other deployments of Thunderstruck. <laughs> um oh my god, that um, cool. that
1: choral song um for the juggernaut is just fantastic. Um mean yeah. we, we never thought there would ever be a meme to sort of knock I'm the juggernaut um, from its pedestal, but as soon as that audio gets onto the internet, I guarantee you it is going to become wisely used. Prepare yourselves
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally, totally well any anything else from you, charles?
1: um no, I weirdly enough, I walked away from this film very like very satisfied, but with very few feelings um in a way that. I'm still sort of like kind of trying to wrap my mind around um it was very like enjoyable, but like the moment I walked out of the theater was like all right cool like that's um it's sort of begun to evaporate from my consciousness and mm-hmm. I honestly kind of find it refreshing um because mm-hmm. so often even these even the, even these films that um that, rightfully, sh- uh, like, that uh, rightfully take themselves uh, seriously. There's a way in which they sort of stick with you in a way that I feel is kind of exhausting. Like they almost occupy too much space in your mind for what is supposed to be entertainment. Um, um, and it, this is just like very, it was very nice to sort of enjoy myself for under two hours and then sort of be, on, like, be about my business afterwards. <laughs>
0: Sounds good. Sounds good. Well, thank you both for joining us. Um, let's find out where can our listeners find your work, Charles, on the Internet?
1: Um, yeah. So I'm a staff writer at io9. That's io9.com. Um, you can find me uh, there every day um, of the week, almost. i working on a piece now about queerness um, in Deadpool and how, um, as simple as it is, um, it was pretty great. Um, And uh, just generally uh, If you want to keep in touch You can find me on Twitter At Charles Pulliam That's at Charles And Pulliam is P-U-L-L-I-A-M
0: Excellent And Sarah, where are you around These parts of the internet?
3: Well, if you are Interested in reading about The sport of figure skating With not infrequent Geeky references um, My blog is at the finersports dot com, Sports dot com. And I am on Twitter intermittently at um Pidesha, which is P A S underscore D E C H A T.
0: Uh and I don't think I have anything else to plug right now. Okay. Well, we are probably not going to be recording on Monday, being Memorial Day, but we will probably be taping next week at some point. Um, upcoming, uh, up, up, upcoming episodes might include such things as, well, actually, we're definitely going to be doing an episode at the end of the season of Legion. So stay tuned for that. I'm really looking forward to covering the end of Legion with everyone. Um, probably do something on Han, and there's definitely a number of comics creators we have coming up joining us soon. Uh, if you have missed listening to, um, if you have missed listening to the beginning of this episode, don't worry. You will be able to get it on the internet very soon. We're on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher. We're at GraphicPolicy.com, um, and you can find us Graphic Policy on iTunes. And I myself, Elon Eleven, I'm always on Twitter, much to the chagrin of any repetitive motion problems that come from being on your phone too much. I'm on that site as E L A N A. Underscore Brooklyn and Graphic Policy. I actually did just write a review of if you like Domino, there's more Domino to be had. There's a really neat comic that Gail Simone is writing, starring Domino. It's her first solo series. I did a review of the first first two issues, uh, spoiler free, and you can go check those out on GraphicPolicy.com. My review of Domino, and then pick up the comic book. It's pretty cool. Um, so as we say on this show, have a great week and keep it geeky.